Thank you so much. Such a gracious church and what a beautiful place. I drove in this. This place is first class. Everything about it. The way you meet us at the airport, the way you put us in the hotel, pick us up. But most of all, the great service and the presence of God that I felt. My, you, you're, well, you got a, just a tremendous worship team. How many of you appreciate your worship team up here? And you've got... You couldn't have a better pastor in all the world than Pastor Aaron. Come on, give a good clap on for that. Matter of fact, you're just a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats. Amen. And it's good to be spoiled, isn't it? Thank God. Thank you for the joy of being here. I want to tell you, I, I truly love your pastor. What a great man. I, I just enjoy being with him so much. He's inspired me. And uh, this church has no limits in this great area of what you're doing and what you're going to do. It's truly one of the points of light that I see when I travel across America, what God has done right here in this place. I could say so much more, but I've got limited time. I'm ready to preach. And I, real quick, come up here. When you leave here today, I have a couple of books. I got a book entitled The Miracle in the House. This has sold several hundred thousand uh, uh, books. And it is a message of my life, The Miracle that is in this house. This is out of the 14 books I have. This has got to be the one that you got to buy. It is the one that's blessed. This is entitled Multiplication. It's how to be blessed in your life. Maybe you need medication, maybe you need medication too. Multiplication in your life. Well, this is will help you out so much. One more thing. Uh, Pastor, we're, we're only able to bring a couple books on trips like this. So what we've done for, for our family here at Life Church, we put together a very special USB card. And on this card, we've put uh, seven more of your books on here in ebook form. But in order to help the people, we have uh, 10 of your teaching series. That, uh, they're an audio teaching series that will help them with their relationship with God, their relationship with family and loved ones. And uh, very special teachings on here, over a year's worth of, of messages. But in addition to that, we've got a, uh, another year's worth of transcript messages that cover all sorts of subjects, and then we have illustrated sermons, illustrated skits, all together, uh, just part of what's up on the screen is on the card, and then there's even more. Over a $600 value, we've attempted to put your entire life on here, Pastor, we're going to offer it today for just $60 for those who want to have a little, something a little extra. Well, my life is worth more than 60 bucks. How many? At least I think so. And But anyway, through the miracle of technology, we just decided... And we want to bless people. Why not? Just put everything that we can, and this will be a great resource for a couple of years of inspiration and blessing, I trust, to you all. I'm so, by the way, I want to be back there at the end of the service. I'd be glad to sign your book, and I want to give you a hug. Now, if you're not a hugger, you'll want to buy the book and run because I'll tackle you and hug you. Amen. But I'd love to be there and shake your hand and, and just have a little time between the services. Last night I said that you got to forgive me if I'm a little sentimental because a couple of weeks ago I turned 80 years of age. I've been preaching the gospel for 64 years. I started when I was 16 years of age. 
I've been married to the same old gal for 54 years. I figured up the other day I have preached over 18,000 messages in my lifetime. Alone on American Airlines, I have 8 million miles just on American Airlines. I've got a lot of miles on this whole body. And so when I speak to you today, I'm more than just preaching. I'm giving more of an impartation. I've noticed the last few years, that's really what it's more about than a sermon. I want to impart to you what I have seen and what I have heard. I'm going to give you one of the greatest titles that anyone can wear. And by the way, everyone here can aspire to do what I'm preaching about today. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you will come down and anoint this place. If you will anoint me, God, this message will touch hearts. Otherwise, it will not. I do not ask for the joy of preaching a great message, but I have a great truth, Lord. And help me to be able to convey this truth to this marvelous congregation. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. If I would ask you the question today, what is the most important title of, a, of the church? You'd probably say, well, it's pastor. If I'd say, what is the most important title of a university? You'd probably say, well, it's the president. I've always admired that little parable in Judges chapter 9. In the interest of time, let me just paraphrase the story. One day the trees had a little convention. And they decided they would like a king over all the other trees. One tree raised its branch and said, I have a nomination. I'd like to nominate the vine to be king over all the trees. But the vine responded by saying, I'm sorry. But I have to refuse the nomination. It is not God's will for me. For one day I will fill the cup at the Lord's Supper. So the vine refused. I admire the vine. Another spoke up and said, I would like to nominate the fig tree. But the fig tree said, although I am the sweetest of all the fruit, someday it'll be me that is used as plaster to be placed upon King Hezekiah, and he will be healed. The fig tree also refused. Another spoke up and said, I'd like to nominate the olive tree. But the olive tree said, I too have to refuse the nomination because my fruit will someday provide oil for the holy place. But finally, the cactus spoke up. And the cactus said, I will be your king. Who wanted the title? The prickly cactus, the sorriest of them all. Who refused the nomination? The vine, the fig tree, the olive tree. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid that this is the case so often within our lives. While true greatness does not want the title except the greatest title of them all, the title of servant. Today I want to say four things about the position or the title. And I want to make just a few statements. Statement number one, make your position great because it won't make you great. Someone named me a famous pastor who became famous because he pastored a famous church. You just can't do it. 
A famous church opens up. Hundreds of pastors put their name in thinking that if I can become the pastor of this famous church, then I too will become famous. But the truth is, every great church of our generation was made great by a great man. You see, the title did not make the man. The man made the title. It is a fallacy to want the position only once. The opportunity to serve. Statement number two. Do not seek the title, but do your job and make your little title, your position great. Many people ask me, Pastor, how did Matthew come about being the pastor of Angelus Temple or the Dream Center? Well, when I decided to go there, I looked for all the great preachers in America and when I would articulate the vision, they got excited. They wanted to come. But when they came and saw the area, they got very spiritual on me and said, I don't believe that God's calling me to this area. I often joke and say, I couldn't get a good preacher, so I got my son Matthew. Amen. And God has raised Matthew up in such a way that every great preacher in America would like his position at the Dream Center. But he said, Pastor Daddy, I will just serve you. Several years ago, I preached a revival. It was one of the first ones. I had a nine-week revival in Elmire, New York, every night. It was one of the greatest moves I've ever experienced in my life. And a young man came from New York State who pastored a little country church. Several years later, that young man was watching television. And he saw some gang members were on trial in New York City. His heart went out to them, and he got a bus ticket and went to New York City, set in the trial. And he was so concerned about these young gang members that would go to prison that he stood up and began to defend them. And the judge said, I'm going to throw you in jail if you don't sit down. When it was over, the young boys got mercy. And as he walked out, they chased him down and said, Mr., we want you to be our pastor. And he went on to build a great organization called Teen Challenge. It was David Wilkerson. They went on to make a great movie about his life, the cross and the switchblade. You see, he did not seek a position. He just decided that he would serve. He found a need and he filled it. He found a hurt and he healed it. Several years ago when I was just a young, aspiring young preacher, I picked up a book entitled Think and grow rich. I never read the book, but there was a subtitle that touched me. It said the way to be successful in life is to find the world's greatest need and fill it as quick as you can. When I read that, I just jumped up and clicked my heels. Who said white men can jump? Amen. Thank God. And I said, praise the Lord. That's what I can do. The world's greatest need is Jesus. And I want to supply that to the world as fast as I possibly can. When I left Davenport, Iowa, we took the little church with 76 and it grew to over 4,000 people and became what many say was the first mega church in the Pentecostal world and maybe even in our world lifetime. God moved in such a great way. Our little church exploded. We had 47 buses to pick up hurting people. 
God blessed in such a way we had a part in Johnny Cash's conversion. And Johnny Cash came and had a great outdoor rally in the stadium with our church. I preached and he sang and we had over 6,000 people out of the 30,000 people that attend that day. And it was an unbelievable revival meeting that was written up all over the world. But when I went to Phoenix, Arizona, going from 4,000 to 200 people, 200 of the meanest Christians you've ever seen in your life. Amen. And I looked at that congregation and I said, oh God, I want to build this church the way you would build it. The first church I built it on what I had learned from my father. He was a great man. Some things are taught and some things are, are caught and some are taught. I caught my dad's spirit and really built a church based upon his revelation. Nothing wrong with that. But I said, God, this time I want to build a church like you would. And I thought if I could just get the attention of God, then I could see God do great things. And so I began to search the Bible. How can I get the attention of God? I read where when a sparrow fell from heaven, the littlest bird, the Bible said it got God's attention. I read where the Bible said when a suckling baby cries, it gets the attention of God. I read where an aging hair falls from an aging man. It gets the attention of God. And by the way, I've really had the attention of God here lately. Amen. I read in the Bible that when the vulture, the dirtiest of all birds, is hungry, it got the attention of God. And I thought if I could just gather up all the people that nobody wants, if I could get the people that God wants and put them in one room, I would have the attention of God. So I began to reach out to people. One day, having many, many buses, as I mentioned, picking up people. We ended up with 40 buses in Phoenix. I got a call one day, and a lady said, Pastor, I want to come to church. I'm at a certain convalescent home, and I said, well, we got a bus that'll come by and pick you up. But she said, Pastor, I can't get on the bus. I said, sure you can, Mama. She was an older lady. I said, get on that bus. She said, you don't understand. Physically, I can't get on that bus. I said, sure you can, Mama. Get on that bus. She started to cry. She said, Pastor, you don't understand. I don't have any legs. I'm in a wheelchair. And I began to cry, and I said, I'm sorry for being so impetuous. I said, if you'll just give me a couple of weeks, I promise you I'll find a way to get you to church. You see, I found a need. And when I find a need, I get excited. It's an opportunity to be blessed, blessing to them and be blessed myself. I was driving out of the street one day and I saw a bus. Anytime I see a bus, I'm interested, amen? But this was a different kind of a bus. The driver got out, ran around the front, went to the side of the bus, pushed a button, the door opened, and a little wheelchair came down with a little lady sitting on it, looked like Queen Elizabeth on her throne. And I said, I'm going to get me some of those. And the next week, I found six wheelchair buses. And we started bringing in people in wheelchairs. Nobody else went to the convalescent homes. There was no competition. Soon we had 10 wheelchair buses. If you attend our church on Sunday morning, the whole front is filled with people in wheelchairs. You'll say that must have hurt your crowd. No, it increased our crowd. Our people were touched. You see, we found a need and we got the attention of God. 
One day we got the news that in the foster care system in Phoenix, in Arizona, there are thousands of kids when they turn 18 are aged out of the homes of the people that take care of the foster kids. Money dries up, and so the social worker goes with a, a trash bag and tells them to get their belongings and put it in, and they're taken out. They turn, return many of them to Skid Row, about 60%. A great percentage end up in prison. Most of them do not have their GED. And so we saw a need. And my son Luke said, I want everybody to bring in a suitcase filled with all the things these kids would need when they're aged out. Bring it Easter Sunday. And they brought hundreds of suitcases. And now, when the social worker goes to the home, we go with that social worker. They love us now. And we take a suitcase and we give it to them when they age out. And we now have a dream center that has beds for 85 of these kids. And we give them the choice of coming there. All of these kids come to church now. You see, we got the attention of God. Some time ago, there was a story in the paper that Phoenix was the kidnapping capital of America. In one year, over 400 kidnappings. Only Mexico City in the world had more kidnappings than we had in Phoenix, Arizona. And the people said, we've got to do something. So we developed and built a dream center. And we began to reach out to the human trafficking girls. We did it in L.A. the same way. It goes like this that every Friday night at midnight, there are 60 young people from the Dream Center that go out armed only with an armful of red roses. We find these little girls two or three in the morning, some of them 12, 13 years. We have a girl now in our human trafficking program that's 12 years of age. We got another little girl that's all crippled, can't even walk like this, came over from Mexico, was sold into human trafficking. Evil men felt it was a novelty to have someone of this nature. And we find these little girls, and they're all burnt out. They've been used by evil men. They're depressed. They're slaves. And we give them a rose. And we say, you're as beautiful as this rose. And then we tell them the story of the rose of Sharon who died and loved them. And the little girls begin to weep and... They accept Jesus Christ, and then we say, would you like to go to a place that will protect you, a place that will help you get an education? You can stay a year. We'll protect you. And the little girl said, yes, we'd like to. We said, okay, come on, let's go right now. And suddenly fear comes in her face, and she says, oh, no, my pimp's over there. He'll kill me, and he'll kill you. I can't do it. And we say, if you mean business, you stand right here on this corner, and we'll be back in a minute with our van and we'll slow down and make the door open and you jump in and 15 minutes later we come by slide the door open she jumps in the pimp runs and gets in his car and the race is on <laughs> but what that old pimp does not know is we call ahead to the dream center and we got 200 men in discipleship that are just barely out of prison and barely saved amen <laughs> Sometime you got to go gangster. Come on, amen. You just got to go gangster. 
I mean, we got everything at the Dream Center. We got pimps, prostitutes, gang members, drug addicts, and that's just the pastoral staff. Amen. <laughs> you see, we found a need. We found a hurt, and we healed it. You see, servants find needs, and they fill them. There's a little lady when I pastored in Davenport, Iowa, that heard that I came to church at 4 o'clock in the morning. On Sunday morning, that's a little style that I go through. And I would study and pray and go over my sermon. And she found out that I loved to have coffee and a donut. Now, at that time, we didn't have Krispy Kreme donuts. How many know what Krispy Kreme donuts are? They're what fell in the form of manna for the children of Israel to eat. <laughs> you have to look real carefully to get that. And Starbucks coffee. Until the anointing kicks in, we got Starbucks. Come on, say a good amen. But there were no coffee places, no donut shops in Davenport years ago. That little lady found out I had a need, and she got up. On Saturday night, she would bake a donut. On Sunday morning at 4 o'clock, she would come and heat that donut up and brew me some coffee. Wow. But one day we had a snowstorm. You know what snow's about here. Amen. Snow was about that deep, and Grandma couldn't make it. I got mad at the little rascal. I'm going to kick her out of the church. Amen. She found a need in me that I didn't know I had. And she made me addicted to her. Well, I got to tell you a funny one here. Matthew had a lady come to him at his church at the Dream Center in L.A. and said, I have a new ministry I just started. He said, what is it? She said, it's the pimp ministry. Pimp ministry? Well, tell me about it. She said, well, I go down to this donut shop, and that's where the pimps hang out. And I preach to them. Matthew said, do they like it? She said, no, they hate it, but I do it anyway. <laughs> so they've adopted me as their pastor. So now when I go in the donut shop, they said, Pastor, we give you seven minutes to preach. Everybody listen. And I preached them for seven minutes. She said, recently they invited me to attend with them being their pastor at the National Pimp Convention that was held in Los Angeles. Folks, I'm not making this stuff up. They have a pimp convention. They give away a Pimp of the Year award uh, every year. So she went when it was over. She said, well, now that I've come to your convention, I want you to come to church with me. And they said, well, she did come. We'll return the favor. Matthew said, that Sunday morning when he looked at the back of the church, he's never seen so many canes and alligator shoes and funny-looking hats in his life. He said, and when he gave the invitation, he looked at the front of the building, and there they were with their canes in the air, their eyes closed, and their grills gleaming in the light that day <laughs> as the pimps gave their heart to Christ. Come on, say a good amen out there. Oh, by the way, we have a new pastor at our church, pastor of the pimp ministry. Amen. She found a need, and she filled it. Does the name Susan Wesley mean anything to you? She was just a mother. But oh, what a mother she was, mother of Charles and John Wesley, who led the greatest revival in the history of England. She saw nothing. She didn't seek for her rights. She made the cradle her throne. She was a servant. There was a nurse by the name of Florence Nightingale. She said, I make every day of my life serving God the main business of my life. 
Name me a doctor that is more famous than Florence Nightingale. You can't do it. Who's the most famous woman of our generation? Princess Diane? Margaret Thatcher? Mrs. Gandhi? Lady Gaga? I hope not. Amen. <laughs> Who is it? Who would you say is the most known woman of our generation? That's right, Mother Teresa. Her old, gnarly, wrinkled, old hands have been photographed and painted more than any hands in the world. They're ugly, but they're the hands of a servant. I'm trying to tell you that God cannot and will not use title seekers. If you seek the title, you'll fail at your job. Who's the greatest man in the Old Testament? Of course, it was Moses. Who would be the, the most famous man in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul. Both of these men gave up titles. Moses gave up being a king. Paul gave up being a member of the Senate. If Paul would have kept his title, he would have never been the success that he was. If Moses would have sought the title, he'd have been a failure. Our Lord and Savior had no degree. And yet he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. Jesus was never an admiral, but he commanded the seas. He was never a general, but he led a love revolution. He was never crowned king, but they called him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He never had a doctor's degree, but he healed the sick. I'm saying to you, don't concern yourself with the title. Which takes me to number three. Let your title come as a result of your work. Let your title describe what you have done and not what you seek to do. And those who see your work will give you a description of your title based upon what you have done and not what you hope to do. Do you know how we came about the name Dream Center? We used to call it the Los Angeles International Church, but one day a young gang member who had just gone through our program was talking to another young boy who was involved in gangs. And he said, I need to get my life straightened out. I don't know how. He said, well, you need to go to that place up there on the hill that I just got out of. It'll change your life. It's kind of a, a dream center. So we changed our name, which takes me to my final statement. Servants are remembered, not titles. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, was disowned by his own pastor. Can you tell me the name of that pastor? Charles Spurgeon, the great man who built a great church at the age of 18, the largest in all of England, Pearl of Great Preacher, was voted out of the London Baptist Association. Only seven men out of the entire Baptist Association voted for him. Name me one guy that voted against him. You can't do it. Martin Luther was persecuted by the Pope of Rome. What Pope? Paul was killed by Nero of Rome. 2,000 years later, people named their sons Paul and their dogs Nero. <laughs> you see, servants 
are remembered. Surveys have shown that they interviewed people and they asked them the question, who's the person that most influenced your life? They always think it'll be some movie star, or politician, or sports personality. And the answer always comes back. It was a teacher that did not give up on me when others did. It was a Sunday school teacher that loved me. It was a friend that stood with me in the time of need. There are several things that we know about these people. Number one, they lost themselves in a cause. Number two, servants were not looking for prestige or authority. And number three, they just wouldn't quit. Number four, they couldn't care less about the title except the greatest title of them all, of servant. Some time ago, and I close with this illustration, there was a young woman who had spent her time at the Dream Center as a servant. Now it's over and she's getting on the plane and miraculously she got bumped up to first class. She was shocked and surprised to find herself sitting beside a man who was in his mid-60s who lived in London, England, a Jewish man who was worth probably a billion dollars. She told what she had seen at the Dream Center and he began to get tears in his eyes. And he said, it sounds like a place I need to go. She said, well, I'll arrange a tour if you want one. And so... I took him through a tour of the Dream Center, and when he saw the 900 people that live at the Dream Center, that's right, people that we have to support, takes us about $900,000 a month because it's a city of 900 hurting people, people that nobody else wants and they've given up on. He began to weep. Service followed that night, and when I gave the invitation, this Jewish billionaire came and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He was so excited that once a month he would fly to his church in L.A. all the way from London in one of his jets. One day he texted me and said, Pastor, i got to meet with you before service tonight. I thought, boy, if a guy will come that far to church, I can meet with him. We met and he said, I saw a movie that really touched me, Pastor. It was called The Bucket List. The movie was about two men in a hospital room. They're dying with cancer. One is very rich and one is very poor. They're depressed. They have about a year to live. Well, one day the rich man walked in and found a piece of yellow legal paper. It was wadded up and he straightened it out. And at the top it said, bucket list. And underneath it said, number one, jump out of an airplane. Number two, swim with the sharks. Number three, Climb the Himalayan mountains. Number four, kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. He said, what is this? And the poor man said, well, that was the things I wanted to do before I kicked the bucket. It was my bucket list. But we're not going to be able to do it. We're going to die. And suddenly the rich man smiled and said, what are you talking about? I've got all the money in the world. I've got the jets. we got a year to live. Money's no object. Come on, let's do it. And the rest of this movie is about old codgers jumping out of airplanes, swimming with the sharks, driving sports cars, trying to climb the, and trying to kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. And he said, Pastor, when I saw that movie, I thought of you. He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to make your bucket list.
Money is no object. I've got all the money in the world. I've got jets. He said, before you get too old, let's do it right away. I want you to, to make your list of what you want to do. Money is no object. It will take a year off, and we'll just do anything you want to do. Wow. What an opportunity. So I got myself a legal pad, and I sat down. And I said, what do I want to do? I said, I don't want to jump out of an airplane. The Bible said, lo, I am with you always. Amen. <laughs> I don't want to swim with the sharks. It's bad enough riding with my wife. I don't want to drive a, a race car. And I've already kissed the most beautiful girl in the world. And if I kiss another, she'll kill me. Amen. And, <laughs> and I thought. And I thought, and I thought. And for the life of me, I couldn't think of anything that I'd rather do than feed another hungry child, than rescue another little girl from human trafficking, than give another invitation for people to come to Jesus and pull them out of an eternal hell. And I bow my head and I begin to pray. Oh God, if I get too old to be able to do what I'm doing this morning, if my mind gets too confused and my body too weak, I pray God that you'll just take me on to heaven. For what is there to will for, live for? If you cannot serve your generation, I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. I want no one moving from this building. For I'm going to close in about a minute. But just before I close, there are people in this building who will say, Pastor, I look at you and an old guy with so much vision, so much to live for. And yet I look at my body. I'm healthy. I'm young. But I, I have no reason to live. The alarm goes off in the morning and there's no reason to get up. There's something inside of me that says, there's got to be a will. There's got to be a person. And you'll say, Pastor, I don't know God. I need God and I need him bad. I look at my life. If I continue on like this, I'm not going to live long. If I continue with the way I am, my family is going to be wrecked. My children will be a loss. Pastor, I just need to change my life. I need God this morning. I want that life that you talk about, that there's so much to live for. So while every head is bowed, no one is looking, I'm going to ask everyone in just a minute to raise your hand. And nobody will see that hand, but God will and I will. And I ask you to raise your hand because I can pray a lot better for you if I know who you are. And the Bible said we have to be willing to confess before men. So while every head is bowed, when I ask you to raise your hand, I believe they're going to go up all over this building from the left to the right, to the front, to the rear. And just say, Pastor, will you pray for me? And I'm going to pray for you. Are you ready? Raise your hand all over this building right now, if that's you. Oh, this is beautiful. Keep raising them. Oh, so many hands going up. I never get used to this, people. I never get used to this moment. It was for this moment Jesus died. 
You may put your hand down. And I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. And the Bible said when it's prayed with a genuine, repentant heart that God hears and forgives. So I'm going to ask every one of you that raised your hand to join me in this prayer. And I'm going to ask every Christian to join in with them. I want us to make it loud and strong. It'll encourage those who raise their hands. I want it to sound like thunder. Are you ready? Everybody repeat with me loud and strong. Dear God, I need a Savior. You said that if I would ask you, that you would forgive me. And I believe you, Lord. I repent of my sins. I give my life to you. You are now my Savior. And I am forgiven. Thank you for coming into my heart. I am now yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, say a good amen. Give the Lord a good clap off here. Isn't this wonderful? Come on, let me hear you give a big praise. Maybe a shout to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you all. I love you. I look forward to meeting you in just a few minutes. God bless you, Pastor.